Welcome to a Winter Meetings edition of the Baseball America podcast. We've got a full crew here tonight. We've got Ben Bather, John Manuel, Josh Norris, and me, J.J. Cooper. We're going to talk trades. We're going to really kind of dive in especially deep on the Braves-Diamondbacks trade. It's most one of the most significant moves of the Winter Meetings, We, I think, pretty easily. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the Winter, Winter Meetings BA Gala, the Baseball America Gala, which was as it normally is uh, now that it's back. Uh, a pretty special event, pretty fun event. And I think the thing is, we had a great event this year with bookended by Cal Ripken Jr. getting the Tony Gwynn Award to start, and then Bud Selig flying in, the Commissioner Emeritus, to get the Roland Heeman Award to finish. And there were a lot of great speeches in between, but as Bud Selig is speaking, you know, we're all on devices these days, and I think all of us at the BA table just kind of jumped when we saw the Dansby Swanson news come in, the trade of the Braves, uh, you know, sending Shelby Miller to the Diamondbacks for Ender Inciarte and then Dansby Swanson and Aaron Blair. So we're sitting there at a Baseball America table at a BA gala with the Dandy D-backs cover with Dansby Swanson on the cover. And now he's traded to the Atlanta Braves. I mean, Ben and Josh, I mean, Ben, you start. But, I mean, our reaction was we were all pretty stunned. But, I mean, to see the Trey Turner rule already in effect with the number one overall pick in the draft. I know he wasn't the first draft pick drafted this quick, this rapidly, but just it's stunning to see him Logan, traded. Uh, Logan, yeah, Logan, Allen was Logan, the Allen. Logan Allen, the first to uh, be traded with the, the trade Turner rule. But. but it was just shocking to see Dan- the number one overall pick dispatched so quickly, and it's it just seemed like that changes the whole tenor of the Atlanta Braves offseason. Yeah, and and the Diamondbacks as well. Right. Uh, it's right. that to me. Obviously, the Braves have built their farm system to uh, a level that it was. It was really bad. It was right. terrible. It was bad. terrible. It was. You're right. It was I mean, terrible. It was bottom five. It was like this was an organization that used to have like three, four, five guys in the top hundred every year, and for two, three years, it was like one guy in the top hundred. If that every year, and and with a lot of the trades, yeah, it's gotten a lot better. I I haven't been. I this is a team that I don't think the Braves were in a situation like we saw the Royals were several years ago, or the Pirates were, or the Astros, or the Astros were. This was a team that was consistently losing, and okay, you don't really have a ton of major league assets on on your major league roster, so okay, yeah, be bad for a while amass these high draft picks, uh, trade off the, the major league talent that you do have, uh, which, you know, in the Astros' case, it wasn't all that much, which all makes right. it even more impressive to me how quickly they've been able to rebuild. But the Braves were you're winning 90-plus games two years ago and had a core of pretty young talent. Hayward. Hayward. Yeah, they in had a division that In a division that, yeah, the Nationals Sims. looked, they loomed like a good, like a, a very good team, but the the Phillies were on the way down. The Marlins and the Marlins. The Mets were a mess. It didn't seem like a division where you had to tear down. And so a lot of the trades that the Braves have made, I, I haven't been all that hot on them, frankly, compared to what a lot of other people uh, in our on our staff have, have seen out of those trades. But this trade, wow, that is a wow. huge haul. To get a, a major league outfielder right now, right, uh, a who's productive major league, very outfielder. productive, and and very early in his career where he's cheap too. Control yeah, board. it's uh, and then to get the number one pick, Dansby Swanson. I mean, I don't know exactly where he's going to be in our top one hundred. I'm quite certain he's going to be a top twenty five prospect. Yes, calling it 
probably conservatively. Yes. I know there's some of us just have talked. He might be in the top 20, top 15 kind of player. Uh, just a, a special middle of the diamond premium position player. I, I don't like that they gave away. I, don't, I didn't like that Andrew Elton Simmons trade for them. I, I think that was a mistake. But to get Dansby Swanson now to potentially replace him in, I mean, who knows? We, we saw Michael Conforto and, and Kyle Schwarber get to the get to the big leagues a year after they were drafted. You know, I don't know that Dansby Swanson's going to be on quite that fast of a track, but I don't think we're I don't think he's far away from being in the Bra- from being the Braves uh, everyday shortstop. In, in 2017, he could be their opening day shortstop. I think that's that's fair when they're going to open that new ballpark. Um, so they got this, the stopgap in Ibar, and now they're going to move him in there, and I think that's the answer to all the Braves fans' questions. And uh, plus, he's an Atlanta kid. I mean, he's a Marietta kid. Uh, do you, do the Braves questions, seems like, Josh, I mean, you're on Twitter probably even more than I am, but it feels like Braves fans' biggest issue has been, what's the identity of our team? Now you kind of have a franchise identity. An Atlanta kid, number one overall pick, a national championship winner in an SEC school, not insignificant in the Atlanta area. Th- those fans are going to know and love Dansby Swanson. I think they already, I mean, even through all this teardown, they did have a phase of the franchise still in Freddie Freeman. That's true. Pe- people could identify with him. But this is going to be another guy. I mean, he, if he is what we think he is, he's going to be a shortstop, play up the middle, uh, have a bat to go with it, and his name is Dansby. Doesn't hurt. So that's going to really help too. I mean, I say that without any hint of joking. That's but he is a classic. I mean, he's one of them. He is an Atlanta kid, and to me, the thing that sets Swanson apart. He, I, I made the comp at dinner. He kind of reminds me. I mean, he's not the same kind of player, obviously. But he reminds me of Buster Posey, in that he just has such baseball athleticism. He makes other people around him better. He has natural leadership skills. Um, and if you saw him this year, the 2015 Cowboys series, he wasn't great this year in Omaha. He took some, uh, you know, some swings where you could tell that he was trying to make something happen instead of the game come to him. And yet, what impressed me the most was when they lost to Virginia, the way he talked about his teammates and the way his teammates talked about him. He does have that little special leadership aura, kind of. Maybe I'm making too much of that, but his tools are, you know, enough to have gotten him drafted number one, but. Um, it has to be difficult for the Diamondbacks scouting uh, staff, for Derek Ladnier, for those guys that draft a guy, invest the whole spring in that number one overall pick, and then he's traded three months later, four months later, and it's not even for like a superstar. I mean, Shelby Miller's good, but you're trading for basically like a number three starter to go behind Grinke, and to me, like Patrick Corbin's ceiling is higher than Shelby Miller's because he's, he's left-handed. Well, but but you know, I mean, let's go sell Shelby... Sh- Short, and from the standpoint of Shelby was, just a couple of years ago, one of the premium prospects in the game. He's very good. I like Shelby Miller. And he's already had success. He has. Present success. He had present success on a truly terrible team. But on a really good Cardinals team two years ago, too. Although he didn't pitch in the playoffs for that team. Right. That was, I, I would say, though, the thing to the Braves' credit here... They actually, Shelby Miller is a guy that they increased his trade value. That's probably true. Shelby Miller, when he was traded a year ago, which is kind of crazy, he's been traded twice now in, in basically a year. But Shelby Miller, a year ago when he was traded, was a guy who you had to have some trepidation on. He, As you said, he did not pitch in the playoffs. He seemed to wear down. Right. And there was that question of, okay, can he do it? Well, this year, truly in his case, throw out the win-loss record. Right. Not his fault. He did it. He was very good 
on a terrible, uh, a pretty poor team. And I do think that he is, I, he, what he does for the, you look at from the Braves Diamondback standpoint, the Diamondbacks are clearly about the now now. Yeah. I mean, well, they're about the future too because they've got Granky for a long time, but they're about the now. And the Braves are clearly in no possible way about 2016 right now. This is a trade that from both sides, from that standpoint, the Diamondbacks get Fits. better right now. The Braves get better in the long term. The thing that I, is so important about this trade now is, is that the Braves got two guys where you can start, and I just mean start to put together a 2017-2018 lineup that seems like a plausible team that could be really could be good. We had not had that before. I mean, Ben. I mean, you kind of talked about that a little bit, but it's, it really is getting two guys who give them at least a top or middle to bottom of the order to go around the Freemans and two regulars. Yeah, what I the problem I've had with what the Braves have done is they've tried to rebuild so much around pitching, and right. yeah, you can say pitching. Obviously, pitching is important, and you want to have good young pitchers, but. There's so there's so much more risk involved with them than if you're getting a premium position prospect. Those guys have by far a top 25 position prospect. A top 25 prospect in baseball is a position player has a much higher success rate than a pitcher. It's you you can find pitching. Look at the Cubs with Jake Arrieta, or just other te- Just the history of the whether it's the draft or the right. international market, you can find pitching in later rounds of the draft for cheaper signing bonuses internationally. Just, you compare, can those two tra- just compare those two trades, like you said, the Anderson Simmons trade uh, and, and this trade with Shelby Miller. So Anderson Simmons is the everyday shorts. I'm really hard to find. I mean, Shelby Miller's really good. But personally, for me, he's not other. He's not like that one or two ace special pitcher. Anderson Simmons, I know he hasn't hit. He's the best defensive shortstop in baseball. I still believe in the bat. At some point, this guy's going to hit 20 home runs. Just too much whip in that bat. So I think for, there's more in there. You're right. I, I, so, so for so Simmons, far. so for Simmons, they get back Sean Newcomb. Hey, I like Sean Newcomb. I'm a sucker for a Clint Longenecker scouting report that he wrote in spring of 2014 about Sean Newcomb's fastball. I'll admit, I'm a sucker for it. I'm still a sucker for Michael Machuela. Okay, we got, we got, we got to ask you. So, what was the body description that Clint used? Because Clint loves his body. Description. I mean, I forget, but was it a John Lester? I thought it was yeah. a John Lester body comp. Well, that's just so, boring by, by, by his normal. It is. I mean, I don't believe he called it. Uh, what was his comp for Adam Ravenel? Uh, oh man, uh, it was something about tempting. His body is somehow. It's somehow tempting, but it's a better <laughs> word now. I'll think of it later. But Sean Newcomb as the top return for Anderson Simmons versus Dansby Swanson as the top return for Shelby Miller, those two things don't compute. Well, and you think about it that way. So when you brought the earlier trade, that's what I thought of is that I like Sean Newcomb, but who would you rather get back as the main guy in the dra- in a trade, Newcomb see, or Swanson? I'd much rather have Dansby Swanson. The, the thing that, that's one of the things I wanted to point out with this is, is that I like talking about this. Guys with Swanson, again, if he's a top 20 prospect, which he may be. Now, I'd say t- number 20 this year is not the same it's as number same 20 as last, year. last year. Let's just get that out of the way. It's going to be less. That's a lesser value. That being said, top 20 prospects don't get traded very often. The last guy before this who fits that is Addison Russell. Right. I mean, that's how far you have to go back. 
And that was inexplicable. And that was inexplicable. And that's one that the athletics wish they had back every single day since. And they, they will. And, and I think that they're running that day. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say and maybe it was next, even that day. It's like and for the next ooh. five or ten years. So yeah, that. This, but this was a trade. I mean, Josh, we're sitting there in the in the BA gala, and it it definitely stunned us all. I guess the other stunner in the gala was seeing Theo Epstein up at the podium accepting the Manager of the Year award, or inter- accepting Rookie of the Year for Chris Bryant, introducing Joe Madden for Manager of the Year, scrolling through his phone, which we thought he was, like, reading his speech, but it appears that actually he was consummating the trade of Starlin Castro to the Yankees and signing Ben Zobers as a free agent. That is multitasking. This is a man who can not only give a really good couple speeches uh, up at the, the podium, but also consummate two deals. I mean, a lot of us have fear of speaking publicly. He's got nothing. That's right. <laughs> he can I do that. that was, I was like, why is he on his phone? And then three minutes later, <laughs> I, I checked Twitter, and I think problem oh, I'm sure it was Ken Rosenthal, reported that, oh, he signed uh, Ben Zobris for it was a 50-plus million dollar deal. It was ridiculous. So, to, to your point earlier about the, the Diamondbacks scouting department, must be, you know, uh, a little peeve that they spent the entire summer. Well, you could look at it that way, I think, or you could look at it as they spent the, the, the summer finding the guy to complete this team that you're going to have Granky, you're going to have Corbin, you're going to have Shelby Miller, you're going to have Paul Goldschmidt, you're going to have A.J. Pollock, and you've gone from a team that was competing for the last place in the entire enti- entire sport, and now you look pretty nasty. It is kind of amazing how Tony La Russa, oh, been a manager for 30-plus years, one of the, a Hall of Fame manager, and this guy makes up his own title in Arizona as, what is he, chief baseball officer or whatever his title is? His title is just Tony La Russa. But he has totally redone this organization in the last two years, a year plus. Reunited to me, with Shelby Miller. To, yeah, that's right. But to me, it's a great effect. I mean, their 2015 team, I thought, overachieved in some, in some ways. They had a nice core. And then to go out and get these two big pitching pieces in Granke and Shelby Miller... Uh, they're well poised for the short, for the short term, and yeah, it's a tough neighborhood. It's a tough division, but they dealt a giant blow. Uh, I wouldn't say a death blow, but they dealt, they dealt a significant blow to the Dodgers, they and to the Giants, both of whom were pursuing Grinky. They get Grinky now. They add Shelby Miller. I mean, the, what can the Dodgers or Giants even do to become the favorite in that division? To me, the favorite in that division right now is Arizona. Oh, and by the way, they have what the second pick in this draft that's going to be really good too. I don't remember where they're picking, but I think they're picking pretty high. But no, yeah. they, no, they had 79 wins. So they're, no, they're, they're, no, they're not number they're, two. The Braves they, are number two. two. Yes, the Braves that's are number two. And the Diamondbacks, I think they actually no, the, lost their pick for uh, signing Granky. Braves, that's a good Braves two or Braves three. Uh, this is a very boring podcast. The Reds are two and the Reds Braves are two, are three. The Reds are three. Yep, that's what it and is. And number one is the Phillies. Yep. So not a great year to pick high either. So <laughs> we shouldn't dwell, we dwell on that. We could talk about the draft prospect. But well, I mean, it's not a terrible year. I mean, what... Coming in, there are guys who are very plausible, number one. You'll also just have more bonus pool money to right. spread things around. So, Well, that's the weird thing is the Phillies have the first pick, but then they don't have a comp pick, and they aren't going to have a competitive bonus pick like some of the other teams. The, so, like, the Astros drafted first uh, or second this year and fifth, and they had a competitive balance pick. So they had $17 million. They way outpaced everybody else. The Phillies won't quite – I don't think they're going to have that kind of financial advantage. They should have – one of the two or three biggest pools, but they may not. You know, uh, the the Reds or the Braves may outmaneuver them there. Uh, I, so we did. We promised it. So on Twitter. So we'll do it now. I think we pretty much. This is not going to be a long digression here, but 
Sean Newcomb, Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson's the number one prospect now in the Braves organization, and it's not that close, is it? Not for me. It's pretty close. I mean, I mean, uh, it's, I mean, it's not. It's not close. I mean, it's not. It's not a question for me. Newcomb is yeah. Newcomb is not like a top. Newcomb. But Newcomb's not a top Newcomb. twenty prospect. I mean, it's not a. I haven't sat down and done my top fifty yet. I I do like Sean Newcomb, but to me, Dansby Swanson is just in a whole other. You know, uh, it's just in a whole other stratosphere of prospect for me. He he probably would be in my top ten, fifteen. I'm I'm all in on Dansby as far as that goes. Um, maybe I, it's because I did, did draft report cards with Derek Ladnier and then just was uh, talking to other people during draft report cards about how Swanson was number one on their board. I mean, uh, it's the number one pick in the draft in a good year for the draft to me as far as those kind of college position players. We just don't have that many college shortstops like that. It's still a unique year for that. He's such a safe player, and I think he does have those intangibles also. They are going to make him a, a above average regular. I think the like you talked about, say the the relative risk factor between yeah. those two players. If, it's a if everything happens right and everything clicks for Sean Newcomb and he reaches his potential, he could be a frontline starter. I think right. we all agree on that. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot more risk there. Just there's a lot more still to do. Yeah, he's he is a pitcher. Yeah. There's there's going to be more injury risk and. You know, he walks a lot of guys. He still. could be Aaron Pareda. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> thinking of other physical college lefties. You know, he could put it all together. He does. His second pitch right now is better than Aaron Pareda's. I, I agree. I'm, I'm just saying though. Yeah, like, but I follow you. Like Ben's saying, there's so much more risk with Sean Newcomb than there is with Dansby Swanson. Whereas if Dansby Swanson hits his ceiling, he's he's a franchise shortstop, and you know what could go wrong with Dansby Swanson? There's just a lot less risk there. You know, he there's there's certainly a probability uh, that he that he you know just doesn't pan out right. at maybe all. He's but just, maybe just a decent second baseman. Yeah, you know? but there's there's the chance that he could be a, a star shortstop and with a lot less risk than than with Newcomb. I'll tell you what the the this this Carolina team this year is going to be really fun. You're going to have probably Dansby there and Ozzy the Al- and Ozzy Albies. Yeah. On the same Who the, by the way, if we're just looking ahead now, okay. So the Braves still really have a, an open hole at catcher because I'm right now. You cannot say the Christian Bethencourt is right. surely the catcher. And as a matter of fact, David O'Brien, their one of their beat writers on Twitter today, said, you know, we expect him to be traded. Their 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 beat writer pool expects mm. Bethencourt to be traded sooner rather but, than later. But you go around the infield now, and I, I you know projected long term infield. You got Freeman at first, who at this right. point I assume. Sticks around, although it's the Braves, right. so we can never be sure. Albies and Swanson in the middle. Albies at second, Swanson at short. You know, third base is, is long-term Cuban. Austin Riley. Long-term. <laughs> that, maybe. Yeah. That's very long-term. It's a, he's very risky at third base. I was thinking, you know, Garcia slash Hector Oliveira oh, in the short mercy. term. Mercy. Or if they sign Kevin Maiton this uh, this summer out of Venezuela. Okay. That's also very long-term. Okay. That's long-term. So he's, he's what, yeah. 14? <laughs> <laughs> And that if that if is is uh, I love international baseball. That if is is probably will, but you know we don't know for sure. I would not pencil him in. Any <laughs> that's right. That's right. Near or long term. Uh, and let me say too that if you you hear this podcast, you know me. You know that I covered the Double A Trenton team for a long time. If you had told me at any point that we'd be mentioning Adonis Garcia as everyday anything. I would have still been laughing four years later. I don't know that he would be on any other no, club. No, no. I mean, they, just, they just don't have an obvious answer at third base. I like Austin Riley, but... And they have just accumulated so many pitchers. 
between Matt Whistler, Sean Newcomb, Max Mike Voltanevich, Max Freed, Colby Allard, Tyrell Jenkins. Colby, yeah, Mike Soroka from this year's draft out of Canada. Colby I mean, Allard, have, Aaron Blair. Yeah, Aaron Blair. Tuki Toussaint. Yes, someone made a joke on, on the social media that the, they should, the, the Braves or the Diamondbacks just have the Braves, or the Braves should have the Diamondbacks pick for them. And then eventually we'll, we'll just get that guy. I may as well. But, um, uh, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, we've definitely talked about that subject for a while. Uh, Roland Heeman is my transition because Roland Heeman works for the Diamondbacks now. He's a special assistant. And, and he used to work next to, uh, uh, his office used to be right next to, who was the former BA? Peter Wardell, who was uh, were interning in the Diamondbacks office, former BA intern, now scouting for the Diamondbacks, actually. But uh, Roland Heeman, uh, the, we've had the Roland Heeman Award be part of the Baseball America Awards Gala since its inception in 2001. Have a little five or six year hiatus there, but our second year back, and guys, uh, this year's gala, uh, a lot of video that you'll be seeing at BaseballAmerica.com in the coming days. Um, great to see Roland up there. Nobody but Roland Heeman could get uh, Bud Selig. Bud Selig didn't like coming to the winter meetings when he was commissioner. Now that he's commissioner emeritus and 81 years old, for uh, Roland Heeman to get him to fly down from Milwaukee was awesome. And uh, yeah, again, I just thought that this, this year's gala, I was a highlight for you. And for me, the highlight, I will say, was uh, probably wound up being Tony DeFrancesco, just getting to know him a little bit this year from the AAA uh, championship game and when Fresno won that. But his speech, very heartfelt, uh, just kind of pointing to a lot of the managers in the crowd, guys that he looked up to from Terry Collins and Clint Hurdle, Joe Madden, who cut him in the minor leagues, these kind of things. Um, I enjoyed Tony's speech, but there were a lot of highlights what was one for you, Ben? Just go around the room. Yeah, like you mentioned, Tony's Tony's speech uh, jumped out to me. I, I love listening to uh, guys like that who've been around the game for, I mean, 20, 30, 40 plus years. Yeah. Um, Tony hasn't been around for 40. Plus. I don't uh, want to make him sound 22 old, plus for yeah. him. Yeah. Well, the manager. Was when he graduated, when he left uh, when he was drafted and left Seton Hall. But he's yeah, he's pointing at Joe Madden and talking about how they you know. Used to used to work, work together in, in the together, minor yeah. leagues back in the day, and, yeah. and it's um, it's you just realize how much uh, how connected baseball is, and how much yeah, I could just li- I had to, I had to go and present the minor league uh, player of the year award to Blake Snell uh, right after Tony spoke, and I was like uh, I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk. I think <laughs> people just want to hear Tony tell more stories uh, about coming up in baseball and. Uh, all of his experiences, just uh, I love listening to those guys tell stories and uh, and learn from them. Uh, Cal Ripken telling stories about playing with Tony Gwynn. That was outstanding. Um, yeah, that was great. I mean, I, I just love all those all those old stories from those guys who've who've been around for so long and have, have seen so much. The Ripken and story then, with Tony Gwynn at the Hall of Fame induction was fantastic. But I'll try to retell it real quick, where he said that they they heard that there was a hazing kind of thing for new Hall of Fame inductees and when Johnny Bench told him like hey, I need you for five minutes and said the same thing to Tony Gwynn took him out back uh, you know on what is it Lake Onasaga is the lake there I think behind the behind the hotel there and uh, sat him in these two rocking chairs and they're looking around thinking some prank's gonna happen but the Johnny Bench came and said you know I just wanted you guys to have five minutes to yourselves to soak in just how cool this is someone did this for me and now I'm carrying that tradition on for you that is, you know, baseball immortals having that kind of tradition like that was just such a great story. And then where Cal kind of paused and then said, you know, I miss Tony after that story and uh, the joy that Tony Gwynn brought to people. 
That was great. That was vintage Cal Ripken. I've seen him give a lot of speeches at Under Armour games over the years because they're very involved there. That was, to me, the best I've seen Cal Ripken where he really, um, you can just see how much Tony Gwynn meant to him and we're obviously honored to have a Tony Gwynn Award as part of our awards gala. But, uh, Josh, what was, a, what was a highlight for you? Well, I, I'd never really been to a gala of any sort, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, but I think First the, gala. First gala. Uh, I, I went around and just, not even the speeches, just going through the, the crowd beforehand while we're getting the bar open and people are drinking. And everywhere you look, it's, oh, there's Terry Collins. Right. Oh, there's J.P. Ricciardi. There's Joe Madden. There's Theo Epstein. I nearly ran into, I nearly walked through Theo Epstein's photo op uh, <laughs> before I realized what was going on. Uh, there's some some guy I know. There's there's Buck Showalter. Dan Jacquet was there. I saw Dan Jacquet. I did not yeah. see Buck. Uh, Buck was there. I don't doubt it. But <laughs> I just see everywhere you turn. If you got, if you had your head on 360 like The Shining, you just constant <laughs> cavalcade of stars, and it was kind of like wow. Why am I in this room? I should be in somewhere else. Well, that's the neat part that you get all those guys in there, and then there's Kyle Tucker and Andrew Benintendi. I mean, for those guys, this is you know that's one of the things I always love the most is going back to old galas like 2005 where Houston Street was our rookie of the year and I had to talk to Robert Stock our youth player of the year and put those guys together and then like two years later there's high school player of the year Mike Moustakas hanging out with college player of the year David Price and here eight years later those guys are facing off in the American League Championship Series I mean that that's that's what our gala brings people together from all the parts that we cover and, you know, I, I presented the College Player of the Year, and, you know, just looking at the list of people who have gotten that award, David Price, Buster Posey, A.J. Reed, uh, now Andrew Benintendi, there's a lot of other crazy names on that list. And then you look at the list and you realize the guy who might be the most successful and most wealthy didn't really do much in, in baseball at all, and that's Casey Close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. It was 1984, I believe, our College Player of the Year at Michigan. JJ, what was your highlight? Uh, there were several. I, I was going to say the Kyle Tucker, Preston Tucker. That was kind of cool that Preston Tucker, big league, older brother of Kyle Tucker, introduced him. But I, I would say the uh, Pirates Org of the Year. That was a good where, speech. Where uh, uh, Pirates President Frank Coonley came up and was really good, you know, and just talked about. I mean, one of the cool things about Organization of the Year, we think about it when we award it, is, is that. You've seen the Royals last year. They were so pumped about winning that. Because there isn't really much out there. Yes, when on the field you win a World Series, everyone is part of that. But when you win Organization of the Year, it's not that we're giving it to the GM. It's not that we're giving it to the president, the owner. It's the organization. And he introduced the traveling secretary. You know. Right, who's been there 31 years. Yeah, that was great. And he talked about how that award is an honor because it is. And especially when you talk about the Pirates where everyone, we all know where they were, to see that they've gotten to the point where they deservedly have won Organization of the Year because they have developed a franchise that is impressively, I, there are so many models now. You can't say there's a model franchise because there's a lot of model franchises. However, they are clearly a franchise that there are things that you want to model what they do. And him talking about that. And also, you know, his 
fun to enjoy the uh, stories him talking about how when he was in the Major League Baseball office and they were using Baseball Americas to basically yell at teams to not, you know, because if we ranked a guy 185, that was great then, then then you shouldn't give him a million dollars because Baseball America ranked him 185. That was fun. <laughs> and then the next year when he takes over as president, the first thing they do is draft Pedro Alvarez and argue with the commissioner's office over how much money they can pay Pedro Alvarez. I mean, it got a lot more do complicated remember, than that. Do remember, by the way, it was awesome. the other part of Pedro Alvarez was... Didn't Pedro Alvarez sign at twelve oh three? Yeah, like twelve fifteen. Like Frank Kudeli called and said, "Hey, I helped write these rules. Give us an extension." And yeah, that situation was convoluted, and it involved ensnared Eric Hosmer as well. Right, it was picked uh, right ahead of him. So uh, I think two thousand eight was Beckham, Hosmer, Alvarez. I can't tell you the fourth pick in the draft, but fifth pick was Buster Posey. So. <laughs> Much ado, but that was—I mean—that was back when you. It really did go down to the, you know, it was. Oh, the deadline was the deadline. I mean, like it was crazy. Our biggest traffic day of the year was August fifteenth. I mean, like it was ridiculous. The next year, when Strasburg signed and our website crashed, and we were like, "Hey, let's put all this up on Twitter." You know, this this Twitter thing will allow us to report on this, and people can just go to our Twitter page. Um, that was when the, that was when the website traffic peaked uh, on the August fifteenth deadline. It was nuts. That was the second deadline, 2008. So, a lot of money spent and a deadline that was pushed, and Frank Kunali was part of that. Now, after the gala, I could go up to him and laugh. We, we laughed about that uh, incident. But to hear him and Commissioner Zeely. I mean, it is amazing. Now, you know, Pedro Alvarez is no longer a pirate. I know. I, mean, I don't want to be a pirate. He's had, he's had a career, and now he's already, you know. But, both of, but for, to hear them talking about it and to see the commissioner fly in just for our gala. Commissioner Emeritus. Commissioner Emeritus, but it is neat um, to see uh, that the gala matters, and uh, I hope uh, people enjoy the we have a lot of pictures, a lot of video from it. But uh, I just know for us, it was a great night, fun night. So good celebratory dinner and wine afterwards, and a fun podcast afterwards as well. So I was trying to think. Of, I was going to say, that, I mean, there have been other, you know, before we wrap up, there have been other moves. There have been. There's no been no trade that kind of matches the. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, the, the, the Dansby trade. The Starlin Castro trade stood as the trade of the winter meetings for about an hour. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, Starlin Castro to the Yankees makes some sense. It's bad for Robert Ref Snyder. Dustin <laughs> but, Ackley. Um, well, he can play uh, other positions, but uh, it's not. It's not good for those guys. But I mean, it seems like it's good. It should be good for Starlin Castro. Uh, I kind of like that deal for for both teams. Actually, I like Adam Warren. I I, I was surprised that that's. Quote, unquote, all the Cubs got. They but got the Brandon Cubs, Ryan. What, but to me, the yeah. Cubs, what the Cubs <laughs> also got was is that's what helped pay for Ben Zobrist. Indeed. And Ben Zobrist, well, I don't think the Cubs need help paying for anybody. Um, the Ricketts family doesn't need any help paying for anything. But Ben Zobrist reunited with Joe Madden and a veteran who's won a World Series now, put in the middle of the Cubs lineup. That's scary. I mean, Ben Zobrist is good for any lineup. He's just such a good player. But now with the Cubs... In that clubhouse, in between, given a, a veteran's presence in the middle of all those guys who already won 97 games this year, plus you had John Lackey, plus you put Adam Moore at the back of that rotation, that's a tough neighborhood. I think I keep using that phrase. The National League Central is a tough neighborhood. What are the Cardinals going to do? Then what, what can the Cardinals do besides re-signing besides Jason Hayward? Hayward? They'll do what they do every year, and they'll win. Jed, yeah, Jed Jerko will hit uh, <laughs> 20 home runs. He probably will for them. 300, right. and everybody will. Yeah, Michael Waka will yeah. return to being Michael Waka. They, you know, I do think people don't realize just how banged up the Cardinals were in the postseason. 
I mean, they started J- uh, John Lackey on three days rest in their elimination game because they didn't with, have Carlos Martinez. With Tony Cruz behind the plate, right. too. And right. They'll, they'll have a full season again of Adam Wainwright. They should. Alex Reyes will come up at some point. This is correct. 50 games. That's right. 50, 50, 60. Yeah. This is yeah. probably correct. Um, yeah, I definitely wouldn't count the Cardinals out. But I, mean, I do understand the challenges the Pirates have as well. To win 98 games again is going to be very difficult for them. Um, the Cubs are making life very difficult for a lot of those teams in that division. Um, there was the Zobris move, the Grinky move, obviously. What about the other moves of this week that have uh, raised people's eyebrows? What, the constant Jose Fernandez scuttle? Now, now the interesting thing, that, that's what I wanted to bring up, which is, is that this Shelby Miller deal, the fact that the number one pick, who is one of the better prospects in the game, was just included in the Shelby Miller deal, makes you just kind of say that a Jose Fernandez deal, really, there are very few teams who can even be in that conversation. That would seem to step things up a notch. I mean, the Dodgers clearly could be in that conversation, but you're not saying it's which of the guys you want. It is, we want the guys. Yeah, how many? (laughs) It is the, we want Seager, we want Urias, we want DeLeon. Okay, well. Someone had said on Twitter that before the Miller deal was consummated, there was talk with Arizona and Fernandez that it would be Corbin and three to four other guys. That was John Heyman. Yes. You showed me that tweet. Yeah, I just don't. At this point, they're all the national writers. There's one just giant news reporting amalgam. And it's scary to think about. But <laughs> that's Corbin and three to four more guys. Th- Corbin, let's say Corbin and Dansby and Blair and NCR. Let's just add Corbin to that mix. Is that a fair price? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the. I mean, talk uh, about no, risk. I no. don't think so. Not at all. No. You, you talk about risk. I mean, Jose Fernandez has risk. You talk about reward. Mm-hmm. That guy's shown the reward. Yeah, it makes me wonder if Dave Dombrowski, who has a history of trading for star talent, might get involved because if any team can pull it off, the Red Sox. The two have teams that are players. most positioned to me seems like Boston and then Houston. There's Houston probably has as much prospect depth. Yes. Outside of Atlanta, I, I, I guess. No, I would. I still the thing I would still say just. And being in the process of writing up the Astros right now. You talk about inventory. They have You inventory. talk about inventory. They have a ton of inventory, but beyond that, I would say that they have more top-end inventory still right now. Less risk. There's a, they've got guys who, if you want risk, they can give you guys of risk. I mean, honestly, if, any, if you had asked me to predict which college shortstop from this year's draft would have been traded the soonest, I would have picked Alex Bregman. I mean, understandable. college shortstop with value. And who has no room. Carlos Correa and Altuve ahead of him. He, he, I don't think he's a third baseman. He's the guy I would have assumed would have been traded, and he would fit a lot of other teams. I mean, Hechevarria is a very good player, in, and D. Gordon, that's the one spot that the Marlins don't need help is in the middle infield. But if you told me there was some, some kind of deal built where the Astros were the, one of the main players they gave up was Alex Bregman, I wouldn't have been surprised about that for a second. And, it, and they still would have had two $4 million high school outfielders from this year's draft in Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron. So... I mean, it wouldn't shock me. The problem, they the have hurdle, so much inventory. And we've joked about this. A hurdle in an Astros Marlins trade yeah. about that includes Jose Fernandez would be the fact that one of the guys that you logically would ask for the best arm in the, the Astros best system. arm in the Astros system is a guy who oh, excuse me, he happened to be a Marlin, and they traded him in a Jared Cozart trade. Yeah. So if you do that, Martez. if Francis, you know, Francis Martez, if you trade. For Martez, you are admitting, 
Oh yeah, we got It'd absolutely. Be like redrafting Ben uh, Rivera. Ben, ben Rivera in the Rule Five Rivera. Pick, yeah. 1987, I believe. Wouldn't it be the same as the AJ Cole thing? No, I'm just kidding. It's somewhat. Well, yeah, well, yeah the White Sox didn't. The White Sox have Gio Gonzalez, or the Phillies? Gio got traded so many That's times. Right. Or, I think it was the White Sox traded him and tra- had him, traded him away, and then traded for him again, and traded him away again. I mean, so it does happen, but it would be un- That was a definitely an unusual deal where the Marlins kind of threw in Francis Martez. And, Clearly, the Astros correctly valued him. But if you can start a package, if you're Houston, and you can, with Lance McCullers, that's a really, really good starting block. I mean, I don't know how much people watched. Well, people did watch the Astros a lot last year. That guy's nasty with a capital N. Uh, he, his stuff is right there with with Jose's sometimes, I think. I mean, I everyone... Right he, with, every, I don't know if he's that, if it's that good, but he, he's very, very good. And, I mean... The, the point, I think the, the, the good point being the Astros have major league, they have cheap major league talent they can trade, they have all kinds of those kind of players, and they have lottery tickets. Closers who are play, players who are in double A AA and triple A who are more solid regulars but are ready to help a big league team, and they have players who are further away who could be lottery tickets. They have, they, they, they've got all, they've got options. So, but I agree with you also, Ben, that the Red Sox still have that kind of options as well, those kinds of options. And Dave Dombrowski is a splash kind of guy. So remember, Dave uh, Dombrowski traded for Miguel Cabrera. Right. Oh, we haven't even talked about the David Price signing. We haven't even talked about Craig Kimball trade. Those kind of things. So it's been an active hot stove season, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I was sitting there writing up the Blue Jays top thirty and thinking, yeah, you know, no wonder no one talks about the Blue Jays offseason. But they traded for Jesse. They re- totally remade their entire rotation. But it's trading for Jesse Chavez, signing Jay Happ, and re-signing Marco Estrada. Slightly less sexy than Mark Shapiro, a different philosophy than a little bit different Dave philosophy Dombrowski. than Dave Dombrowski or than Alex Anthopoulos. Yeah. Yes, slightly more conservative philosophy. So, um, but it's definitely been a, a very active off season. And, and isn't that what you just kind of talked about? What kind of makes this whole off season fun is you can you can talk about the Royals and the way they built their club and the way the the Mets built theirs and the way the Braves are trying to build theirs and the way the Diamondbacks built theirs. And there's no guarantees on any of this. Who the heck knows could come out? The, the slow and steady Cardinals. Right. No. And as Matt Eddie likes to talk about, there is some variety. There's some different styles of play in that that does make the game interesting. I like the way Matt talks about that, where you don't want everyone playing the exact same style of baseball. And that, that would get boring, and you don't have all these front offices doing the exact same thing. So uh, I do like that variety a little bit as well. Anything else, uh, guys? I think we've got some pretty good subjects here. I think that's pretty good. We've we've done a solid 40 here, roughly 40 here. Uh, only 40, really? Only 40, yeah. You know, But we have another long day of the winter meetings tomorrow, which got a lot of writing to do. I got a lot of Rule 5 stuff. We'll have a separate, we may have a separate Rule 5 podcast at some point. May? Actually, may. Well, if it's just me talking into a microphone, we'll have a Rule 5 podcast. <laughs> It'll just be me moderating JJ. You know. But they, if we even have that, but we will have a, we have Rule Five stuff up. That is, the capstone, <laughs> the pinnacle, of the uh, winter meetings. Always, you know. I mean, you who can, will be you, this year's Oda Bell Herrera? You guys can have your Shelby Miller, Dansby Swanson trades. I'll have the Rule Five draft because that's really what we always remember from the winter meetings. The, but. The, the event that's so important that everyone brings their bags to it to leave as soon as possible when it's <laughs> over. And I have talked to people who are like, oh, no, no, I'll be on a plane by that time. You know, I love that we do actually, I'll try to hit up guys on Tuesday, and they're like, check with me tomorrow. Exactly. Too soon. I don't we, don't, we don't spend that much time on it. But, so we'll have that coming later. But for Ben Badler, 
John Manuel, Josh Norris, and me, J.J. Cooper. Thank you for listening to another Baseball America podcast, Winter Meetings Edition here. We will, uh, we will be back with a podcast again shortly. We will have a lot of more Winter Meetings coverage uh, tomorrow. You can go to BaseballAmerica.com. do also want to remind you, BaseballAmerica.com slash store. And there's a whole lot of stuff that you want to be checking out right now. We're in book season. So the Prospect Handbook's not far away. The Almanac's even closer. And it's Christmas season. I'd buy an Almanac, and I'd also buy a trucker hat. And a subscription. <laughs> and a great parse calendar. That too. That's right. Nice and a partridge and a pear tree. <laughs> uh, for everyone here, so long, everybody. <laughs>